0: You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky-Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275, in Hebron some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9:30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect life-changing word. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 it is on page 321 in the Bible in front of you in your pew or turn your devices or your own personal Bible to 2 Kings chapter 5 This morning we are looking at a story uh, that happened during uh, the split of the two kingdoms of the northern of northern Israel and southern Judah And an event that took place during the ministry of Elisha. For those of you visiting with us today, uh, we're reading together through the entire Bible through this year. And then we're going through major stories throughout. This story is interesting because it's mentioned in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it. We'll look at that a little bit this morning. But it it speaks to a, a problem or an issue that is a priority in our life to deal with pride and so today we're going to look at this uh, event in the life of a Aram soldier who needed to be healed by Elisha so this morning uh, we're going to kind of read it later together so let's just pray uh, before we go to God's word God we are thankful this morning that as we know the truths that have been sung that you are a king above every name and yet you have chosen to speak to us lord that humbles us that you would want to speak to me to us today that you would want us to be you to be known through your son jesus christ that you can be, that one can be saved but that, God, that you would reveal to us your character and the way to life. God, we pray as we take part in the scriptures that you call the very word of of life, we pray, God, that you would change us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We were walking downtown Louisville a few well, about a month or so ago, and uh, outside the Children's Museum is this huge mirror-type thing that you can stand in front of, and, and wherever you stand in the mirror, you can be shrunk down, or you can you can kind of be scattershot around the mirror. It's a, just a fun little thing for you to get. It's sort of like those fun house mirrors. You've probably seen some of them that maybe you want to stand in front of a mirror and maybe you want to be taller. Well, there's a there's a mirror that you can stand in front of that'll shrink you up and you look like a, a tall telephone pole or or maybe you want to stand in front of one that that basically you're all feet. It squinches you down and uh, then I went in front of one that uh, it makes your head really big. And then I realized that was just a regular mirror that I was looking into. <laughs> but no, there are some of those funhouse mirrors that do that, that cause your head to look really big. And I think one of the, the interesting things about that mirror is it points out one of our deepest, darkest problems that we face, big headedness or pride. When we think about pride, it most often takes takes on the form that of us thinking about ourselves, the way that we think, the way that we look at situations, the way that we are, are better than others. But pride also bubbles up in a way that we think about what others think about us first. And so we tend to move our lives to please them because we want to look the way we're expected to. This me-centered world where we adjust our looks and behavior to match others. So, for example, we want our friends to, to think of us better than we are. We step in front of the mirror and where we spin all of our activities in a way that makes us look good. That we participate in only the activities that we know we'll excel in. Or for us to look better, to think that we're better, that we gossip to our friend and put others down around us. That mirror that we've created for ourselves makes us look really good. Or maybe we want to look like the perfect parents. And so we step in front of the mirror that we put on the good face at church as though nothing's wrong. Or that we put such deep, maybe behind that mirror for us to put a a good picture in front of others, we we behind the scenes are putting deep pressure on our children to behave the way that good Christian kids are supposed to act. And, And sometimes that the way that we form ourselves actually bubbles out in our own behavior and how we pridefully yell out in anger and correcting and, and admonishing our kids. It's because we're afraid that we'll look bad, not that we're concerned about their very own heart. When we stand before the mirror, we try to make ourselves look better. Our pride distorts the very reality of who we are. And this is dangerous because pride is most likely to keep us from crying out for a savior when we're prideful we're just like the person who thinks they're well and doesn't think they need a doctor when they're really sick inside our pride is dangerous because it keeps us from the savior today we're going to read through the event or the story the story of naaman he was a leader in the Aram army. Aram was a kingdom just north of Israel. It's in modern day Syria. And in that army leader was a very popular and powerful man. Solomon's son Rehoboam had, had treated the northern tribes very bad. And so after Solomon, the two kingdoms split, southern Judah and northern Israel, And so the the northern kingdom had split from the very Davidic line, um, and they no longer had a king tied to David, and yet God cared for them and sent people to call them to repent. He sent Elijah and Elisha to call them to come back to him and warn them that if they continue to fall away from him, they will be exiled and sent away. Unfortunately, as we read, they end up falling far from God as all their kings, uh, except for one, did not follow the Lord. In this event in Elisha's ministry, we see that this Naaman needed healing from leprosy. How just like leprosy, pride spreads and covers us over. It eats up love and wisdom. Pride is self-centeredness, a self-sufficiency that says I can handle it because you're trying to prop up a self-image that says I can handle life. And just like leprosy that was threatening Naaman, so do we that have pride that threatens our hearts that will overcome love and wisdom in our lives. And Naaman's journey to healing I want us to see three ways to remove pride from our hearts because that's what we want. We know acknowledgingly that we as Christians should fight pride. So how do we do that? Well, I think we get a little bit of an example through the story here of Naaman. Verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, Naaman commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease." So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore, the king of Aram said, go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. The first thing that we see here is that pride is humbled at forgiveness, or pride is humbled with forgiveness. Imagine this amazingly victorious Aramean warrior who had been given much victory I mean, I'm sure that, that every website and blog and news station wanted to cover this great warrior. And imagine the accolades that he, uh, I'm just joking there, they didn't have those. Then. I do know, I didn't want to confuse you there. They, imagine the accolades that this warrior wanted to receive. And yet, in the midst of it, he was struggling through both an ugly and painful skin disease. Now what's interesting, it was just kind of tucked away in here, but here again we read throughout the Bible something that we see over and over again, that God is sovereign over everything, that God is even sovereign over the history of the world, that God is sovereign even over evil countries and evil people. It says that Naaman was given victory because why in verse 1, the Lord had given victory to them. So God is even using the evil desires of people to work his master plan. Now here we see this person who was probably puffed up and very proud of his great victories. And yet struggling with this skin disease. And here we also see a young servant girl, slave girl, that had been taken through the victories of the Aramean people. Earlier on in her life, her her parents were probably murdered and she was uh, stolen away from her family. Even though she was orphaned, they took her in to become a slave to his wife. Now just think of her story for a minute. Imagine the deepest, darkest, worst time in her life. It was when her parents were killed and she was taken from the land that she only knew. Imagine night after night going to bed crying and waking up every morning in the very warrior, the very place who took her parents' life. Imagine the hardness and bitterness and, and everything that could have stood up in her life over this time. Imagine how painful it must have been for her. And yet, through this, we see in this young girl She realized forgiveness is a way to glorify God. She could have stayed silent. She could have said, well, the master's getting exactly what he deserves. But instead, she spoke and said, maybe the master could go and see this prophet Elisha that heals people. Friends, here what we see is pride cannot survive in forgiveness Because forgiveness costs. When we forgive someone, we're absorbing the cost to ourselves. Maybe today you need to begin to kill the pride in your heart by forgiving someone. If you're holding a grudge, you're saying that my feeling, my uh, sense of justice is more important than glorifying God in this world. Yet those of us who doubt or wonder the cost of forgiveness... If we're Christians, we already know the high cost of forgiveness. We know that our forgiveness cost Jesus Christ dying on the cross. We know that we are sinners forgiven at a high cost of his life. And therefore, if this miracle has come to us, then we must know forgiveness should be our theme. C.S. Lewis wrote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Maybe today you need to forgive someone and kill pride that is growing in your heart. Maybe it's a relative or a spouse that you might think, look at all they, that I have done for them. How dare they treat me in this way? I cannot forgive them. Friends, remember, we should forgive them Not because of all that you have done for them, but because of all Christ has done for us. Make sure that you kill pride by forgiving, forgiving quickly and trusting in God. That will knock down pride. Just as number two, pride is knocked down by faith in God. Pick up in verse 9 of chapter 5. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent him as a, a messenger who said, "'Go wash seven times of the Jordan, "'and your skin will be restored, and you will be clean.' "'But Naaman got angry and left, saying, "'I was telling myself he will surely come out "'and stand and call the name of the Lord God "'and wave his hand over the place "'and cure the skin disease. "'Aren't Arbana and Pharpar, the rivers of Damascus, "'better than all the waters of Israel?' Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. Pride is knocked down by faith in God. Here Naaman goes to Elijah to ask to be healed. To heal him. Now imagine the the amazing feat that it would have been for this Aramean man to go down to that kingdom down in the the south there, the kingdom of Israel, and ask help from them. And so he shows up at this man of God's house, and and, and here, that Elisha guy, all he did was send one of his servants out to talk to me, and then tells me to just go take a bath. I mean, how, how rude is that? Shouldn't he have come out, I mean, I love what he says here, shouldn't he have come out and waved his hands over the place, called out on his God? Shouldn't he have said, like, a la peanut butter sandwiches or uh, something like uh, Yahweh Kadabra or something like that? Waved his hand and said, heal this man. But I can't help but realize Naaman had the opposite reaction of another healing of a soldier that we saw in the New Testament. There was a centurion who came to Jesus who needed his servant healed. Do you remember that? They were dying. Listen to the words of this man. In Luke chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and your servant, my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to the one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes and to my servant, do this, and he does it." Jesus heard and was amazed, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, "I tell you, I have not found so great a faith, even in Israel. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Friends, isn't this amazing, a stark contrast? One soldier comes and is upset that the prophet won't even come out to it, and the centurion won't even let Jesus come out, sends messengers to him and says, Jesus, I know whatever you say, whenever you say it, you can do it and heal it. Just have favor on me. Do you see the two contrasts of one who does not have great faith and one who has great faith? The humility it took for that centurion to say, "I trust Jesus of Nazareth to do a healing that I don't even have to be in the room, or He doesn't even have to come to my house. He just says it, and it's done." As opposed to this Aramean soldier who says, "Shouldn't the prophet have come and at least made an appearance in my in my presence by my presence?" Here, friends, faith is born out of humility. Faith is, is realizing that there is a God that the heavens cannot even hold. Or that the one who who has spun the moon and and hung the stars has come to us, this God who has borne our sin, this great and good God that we come to, we acknowledge that he is God and we are not. And the more that we understand this great humility, the more that we have great faith in him and what he can do in our lives because of, of who God is, we have great faith in him and not ourselves. And this is where faith is born. It's amazing the servants of Naaman say, Master, Um, I mean, Master, just think for a second. If this prophet would have said, Go climb the highest mountain or go to kill a sea monster, you would have said, Yeah, I'll go do that. I'll go get healed of my leprosy by doing these things. That he said, that the servants say, Then why won't you just go take a bath? If it was so hard for you to do those things, why not just? Listen to what they say. Doesn't this highlight how we often have lack of faith in God in our own lives? We think that, that, that we must be called to show a great faith in some great, important public work. But what we need is faith that drives us to total dependence in God in everything. We say the same thing to God. If you call me to do something big. But look look what God is calling you to do. God is calling you to the everyday mundane dependence on him. From the time that you wake up to the time that you go go to bed. From the time that you walk into your workplace to the time that you walk in your home, that you are dependent on his grace and his mercy to live. That you have the dependence to obey your parents when your minds and desires want to do everything else. That you want dependence to be a mom who corrects and cares and disciplines and washes clothes, who stays at home or goes to work, but that all the while you're just depending on God's grace, that all of this is for His glory. That you go to work or out to coffee shop or you go to Kroger, that you go to home, that you in dependence are going and walking knowing that God might bring someone in your path that needs to know His good, great name. Friends, this is this everyday faith that we call mundane and ordinary, that God says this is what great faith is, that you depend on me. But number two, we also see that this is how we are saved we fool ourselves that there must be something that I can do to put my life back together, that I receive forgiveness by doing something. I'll volunteer for everything. I'll try religious traditions and ceremonies and say prayers and penance and all these things. At the end of the day, though, i lay my head on my pillow, and I'm not sure that I've gained enough to see forgiveness and grace from God. And God said, that's not how forgiveness works. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what Christ has done. Religion says do. Christianity and the gospel says done. And this great faith that we come to knowing that there is nothing that we, we can add to our salvation, there is nothing that we can do to favor God's for, forgiveness. Instead, it is that grace saves us and faith brings us to forgiveness. And This humility that kills pride for our salvation. Psalm 149 4 says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Today, do you need to set aside pride and humility and call out to God in faith? Do you need to, to bend your knee at the cross of Jesus and say, Oh, there's nothing that I bring. I just come to you, Christ. Please forgive me. Today, do you need salvation? That is great faith. And great faith drives out pride. A life then follows of us trusting and depending on God every step of the way. Which leads to number three. Pride is destroyed when we worship God alone. Picking up in verse 15, it says... Then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him and declared, I know there is no God in the whole world except in Israel. Therefore, please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives in whose presence I stand, I will not accept it. Naaman urged urged him to accept it, but he refused. Naaman responded, if not, please let your servant be given as much soil as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or sacrifice to any other god but the Lord. However, in a particular matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, the king of Aram, goes to the temple of Ramon to bow and worship while he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow in the temple of Ramon, when I bow in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. So he said to him, this is Elisha, go in peace pride is destroyed when we worship god alone when we filter out all the reasons for us to worship ourselves to place others in high authority that we put our our, our success and our rewards and everything that we have in high places. Friends, it brings anxiety and anxiousness and anger and all these things because pride has become the first thing in our hearts, but pride is destroyed when we worship God and Him alone. When we see the healings of the New Testament, many of them are because we see Jesus or the apostles healing someone In order to teach a lesson or more often to say there is only one true God. There is only one way to salvation. Here in the same way, Naaman is healed in order to show exactly what he says in verse 15. I know there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. Then he asked Elisha to know and to forgive him, that there's part of his duties that he's going to have to escort the king into this temple. But he wanted Elisha, and he wanted others to know that when he goes in there, he's not worshiping anyone else but the God of Israel. I couldn't help but think of this story that this man who was far from God was brought to faith in God. And I couldn't help to think, through the faith of a child, a man came to childlike faith. The servant girl who spoke and led the master to see the grace of God. And I thought about the words of Jesus when he says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this, this is the one, this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This past week, Franklin had his honor awards at his school Calvary Christian and in the middle of the awards as they had just honored people and they they said at the beginning we we honor your work not because at the beginning of the year we say we honor God with our work if we honor God with our hard work then everything else will be put into place afterwards and in the middle of the ceremony we sang how great is our God and I sit there as a blubbering dad with tears streaming down my face, surrounded by 140 little kids singing how great is our God. And I couldn't help but pray right then, oh God, may I have this much faith. May I have this faith. Friends, when we have this faith, it drives out pride in our lives. It helps us to look at the world in a different way. It helps us to see that pride cannot survive when it, because pride cannot survive when, uh, when it is replaced in the worship of God. When we are overwhelmed by God, ourselves become less. King Canute ruled over Denmark, Norway, and England more than a thousand years ago. And his people and his faithfulness to his people brought great security and great influence and prominence. And because of the success of his kingship and because of the success that happened in that region, As most kings, he was surrounded by people who wanted to adore him with praise and bring a lot of of, of hangers on to say how great you are. Well, this king didn't want to have anything to do with that. So he said, let's take my throne to the ocean. And so they packed up the throne, took it down to the beach. He said, I want to put the throne right up next to the water. And I want to sit there. And by the sea, the king commanded he sat there in his seat with everyone there surrounding him listening. He says, Tide, do not come in. And of course, what happened? The tide came in to the point that the waves were up to, to over his knees in the, in the throne. And King Kunt turned around and told his people, He said, Let all men know. How empty and worthless is the power of kings? For there is none worthy of the name but he whom heaven, earth, and the sea obeys as eternal laws. He says, Don't look at me. Don't worship me. Worship the one that the heavens and the seas obey. Friends, can you say that with your life? Does your life communicate that to others? The Bible's answer to our fallen self-obsessed obsession is a great work of grace in the gospel that creates a worshipful obsession with God. Pride is defeated decisively at conversion when we trust in Christ alone and are saved. Progressively in sanctification we learn to worship and trust God more. And finally totally in glorification. When we stand before him we'll have the experience of the ever increasing everlasting white hot worship of God. The day is coming when God alone will be exalted and it will be the worst day for unbelievers and the happiest day for all Christians. Therefore, we must practice for our time in heaven and worship God alone. Humble yourself today, Christian. Obey God in all things because we must become less and He must become more. And if you here today are still trapped in a life centered on yourself that you have no hope for eternity, listen, you can give up yourself and gain it all. Trust in Christ who has died for you. May our pride be killed as we worship Christ alone. Let us pray. God, we ask you this morning as we have come together in your name that we are reminded how small we really are and how great you are. And God, I pray that as we think more and more in this way that it has led to forgiveness, that it leads for us to worship you God, we pray this morning that you would help us to kill pride in our lives. We pray for someone here that they would hear that it is grace is enough, that Jesus has died to pay for their sin. If they would just reach out in faith, they could be born again. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. Most importantly, we hope that you have been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the Gospel is the central message of the Bible. The Gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins but he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with Him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at org, or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow him.